0: Alright, if you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and hopefully we'll finish this chapter this morning. Interesting, interesting, interesting passage of Scripture. And especially in light of the world that we live in today, and I've entitled to study this morning, The Way to Peace. Our world aches. For peace, I think it's safe to say. Amen? Uh, You got Kim Jong un threatening to nuke the United States. You have Iran rapidly approaching the possession of nuclear weapons. You have Israel that already has them. You have the Saudis that don't know whose side they're on. You have a Muslim Brotherhood president of Egypt. We have China that owns $2.6 trillion of our debt. The world is a mess, and it's a an explosive mess. It's staggering to think of the very, very tiny things, uh, the push of a button that could throw the world into, into utter chaos at any moment. The world aches for peace. The world has ached for peace since Isaac and Ishmael. The world has had the problem of no peace since the Garden of Eden. It is the problem in man's heart. It is not a geopolitical problem. It's not an economic problem. It is not a haves and haves not problem. It's not some people are born in free countries and other in oppressed countries. Frankly, it has zero to do with those things. Those are the symptoms of the problem. And the problem's the heart of man. It has always been the heart of man. It really has never been these things that we look at and are so concerned with, and make no mistake, they're severe things. They're real things. They're things that we need to be concerned with. But the problem, the lack of peace, In our hearts is the lack of peace in individual hearts. It's the lack of turning to the Lord. And so this morning, the way to peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this church and for your people. But we thank you mostly for Jesus. Lord, without you, we would all surely still be dead in our trespasses and sins. We'd all be conflicted, worried, concerned, Lord, about our eternity. And you have made it so that we are right in your eyes by the blood of Christ. And to you this morning, Jesus, we simply ask you to speak to us. Bless your people. Bless us as we study. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11 here in Ephesians 2. And therefore, remember that you... And so, the Apostle Paul, thinking back on this previous condition, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He's made us alive. Amen? Amen? So he's now talking to Christians. He, he again turns his attention uh, to reminding us where we've come from. And it is so important because of this one thing, and I think this is the major thing. We are tempted sometimes to forget where it is that we've come from, that we ourselves are children by grace, that we ourselves have been given the faith to believe, that we ourselves really are no better than anybody else on the face of the earth. We happen to live in a country that's largely free. But we're not just especially blessed because we live here. We, we are God's children, and God's children exist all over the globe in every shape and color and size and uh, nationality that you can possibly imagine. And so he says, and therefore you remember, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, in other words, This difference between the Jew and the Gentile, a a distinct difference, one that exists to this day, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. His point is this. We don't have right to spiritually boast about our salvation because it was a gift. Amen? We, we have been saved by grace and through faith, and that's not of ourselves. It's a gift. It's what he's just shared with us. And so because of that, we have to be really careful how we live our lives in this world because at times the church, Christians, we, me, us, you, can become spiritually prideful. We can almost act like somehow we've arrived, we're better. That as we look at our lives, then perhaps you would say, you know, well, look at us, we're a Christian nation. You, you see, this ideal of superior of spiritual superiority is not one that you find in your Bible. We, we can take no credit for the fact that we're saved, beyond contributing the sins that causes us to need a Savior. As we saw last time, you see, the Gentiles resented the Jewish claims of their position of superiority based on their heritage. And that was really the problem. And if you go back and take a little look at your history book, you're going to find some things that are not commonly taught anymore in this world because they're not comfortable if you go back and look at the, the Christian era, and I'm speaking of after the death of the Lord, and if you pick up around 300 A.D. or so, or if you prefer uh, after the Christian era, if you pick up in about 300 A.D. and you begin to look at the Byzantine period of our history, going all the way up until the period of the, of the Reformation, you're going to find that it was, in fact, Christians that were responsible for some of the most horrific things that have happened on the face of the earth. You're going to find out it was Christians at the time of the Reformation who persecuted the Jews. And, in fact, it was Martin Luther himself who reiterated what the Catholic Church had taught for a very long time, and that was that Christians were superior to Jewish people because, in fact, the Jewish people had rejected the Messiah and, in fact, killed him. In fact, the Jews were actually blamed for the Black Death, the plague that that engulfed Europe. So much so that the Christians came up with the plan that the Jewish people had concocted a poison out of lizards and frogs and all kinds of insane accoutrements gathered from around the world and and brought it into Europe that resulted in the death of almost one-third of the population of Europe. Horrific things have been done in the name of Christ. The Jews were not a whole lot better. And in fact, they did at times exercise superiority and authority over those that they should have been reaching out to with the one true God. And so the answer lies in something other than a particular religious position. It lies in an issue of heart. And it was not until Jesus came to this earth and died on Calvary's cross that that peace was made. It surely wasn't made by the Spanish Inquisition, which most people look at and remember actually apart from the truth of history. The truth of history is more Jews died during the Spanish Inquisition than any other group. It was Christians killing Jews. When you look at the Crusades, it was the Roman Catholic Church coming to kill the Mohammedans, to set free the holy places uh, of the Promised Land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know who died during those crusades in huge numbers? The Jews. The hands of Christians. You see, sometimes we're tempted to believe that Christians are almost guiltless. And I know I may be messing with your worldview a little bit, but I think the truth of history needs to be told occasionally, lest we get the opinion that somehow uh, the church has been immune to the same things that the Jewish people were immune to, which is not seeing the truth, not teaching the truth, and most importantly, not living the truth. The truth is, without Christ, we would all still be dead in our trespasses and sins. Amen? It's only by him and through him that we can be set free. This huge gulf existed in God interestingly enough something that we don't understand God required of the Jewish people that they be circumcised the, the men we look at that and it's kind of a silly way to identify and mark out you know a chosen people but it did some distinct things it was a sign of obedience It had absolutely no good purpose for the person that engaged in it. It was purely a sign of obedience to the Lord. It was also a sign of belonging to the covenant of Abraham. It was also a sign of the cutting off of the old self. And so for the Jewish people, it it was a sign of obedience. But you know what? It never saved anybody. Nobody was ever actually brought all the way into the grace of God through Judaism. They were still falling short of the glory of God, just as we would in our flesh. And the reason that I am belaboring this point just a little bit is this. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter what country you were born in or what nationality or skin color you are. We all have the same problem that can only get fixed one way. And that's the blood of Christ. Without Him, someone who professes that Allah is God is lost. Someone who professes that there are 2,400 individual gods, as is believed by the average Hindu, is lost. Without him, someone who professes a strange form of Christianity is lost. And so what Paul is saying is, the peace plan is only one way. The peace plan is only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. There's never been two ways to get saved. There wasn't an Old Testament way and a New Testament way. There isn't another way today. There isn't some other Jesus, as the Mormon church teaches. Another testament of Jesus Christ. No, there's only one Jesus. And He died on Calvary's cross. Verse 12, it says, Remember, at that time you were separate, excluded from the covenant of Israel. You you see... This verse 12 gives us a picture of some very distinct disadvantages that people who were not Jews had. You see, we were separate from Christ. They were actually uh, the ones who brought Christ into existence. Jesus was a Jew, family of God. By heritage, by birth, he was a Jew. Gentiles couldn't claim that. Separated from Israel is the second thing. Gentiles could never fully partake. No matter what you did, you could go through 15 years, and that's what it generally was. If you wanted to become a Jew at the time of Christ... Typically it took about 15 years of Talmudic study for you to be properly educated in the things of Yahweh so that you could become in essence a grafted-in Jew but you were still never fully in. You were out. You were a foreigner to the covenants and the promise of God. No matter what you did unless you were born into the into a Jewish heritage, you could not, would not, never could inherit the covenants that were made to Abraham, Isaac, David, and those things which were gained by the Mosaic law. You just simply couldn't do it. And so what came on the scene at that point in time was the onset of the world's only three monotheistic religions, the only religions in the world that claim there's exactly one God, and they are these. They are Judaism, they're biblical Christianity, and Islam. And so the picture here is, is there another truth? Is there some other way? Are our Muslims saved? Hardly. And he goes on to make the case. You see, what he's really showing is the condition of mankind throughout history. (laughs) You know, there's been the Hatfields and McCoys since the Garden of Eden. There's been the Protestants versus the Catholics since the Garden of Eden. There's been the Serbs versus the Croats since the Garden of Eden. There's been meat eaters versus vegetarians since the Garden of Eden. There have been mountain folk. Flatlanders since the Garden of Eden, okay? We have had our substantial differences. And those differences have often caused people to come up with some other alternate way whereby their specific group is better off. None of those things are true. It is not better for you to be a Jew and a Christian. It is not better for you to be an American and a Christian. It is not better for you to be a converted Muslim who is now a Christian. To be found in Christ means that you have accepted the one and only remedy to what ails mankind. That's it. And it really doesn't matter where you came from. It now only matters where you're going to. Your destination has been changed. And so when you look at this conflict, we have to all be in the same boat. And I think sometimes the church has been guilty of keeping people at arm's length whom God is trying to reach. I look at our world today. I myself have been guilty of perhaps at times seeming like I don't care. About the Muslim nations. That surely is not God's view. He cares very deeply about the lost of every flavor. Amen? He, he's crying out to Hindus. He's crying out to Muslims. He is reaching out by the Spirit around the world through that endeavor of reaching the uttermost parts of the earth with the good news of the gospel. And there is only one way to solve what mankind is going through right now. It's not a two-state solution in Israel. It's a one-state solution called everybody being in the same state which is saved. That's what will fix the problem. You won't ever resolve the issues that are plaguing the Middle East by simply giving Palestine to the supposed Palestinians and Israel to the Jews and then having the Arabs have their own states. That will not solve the problem. Ever. That problem will exist until Jesus puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. Until all men are saved. And so if we want to fix those problems, if we want to see peace come into our world, it comes one person at a time by a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how it comes. Christ is the only answer. It's interesting. I had a very deep conversation with, with the guy who is a Muslim and is very cordial. And he tried to make the case that, you know, well, we believe in Jesus and you believe in Jesus and we believe in Abraham and you believe in Abraham. And I shared with him, I said, yeah, but the Jesus I believe in is not the one you believe in. You see, Islam teaches that Judas and Jesus switched places, that God literally made Jesus look like Judas and Judas look like Jesus And so Jesus never died. He was translated right off of this rock into heaven. And Judas died in his place. Do you know what that says, according to your Bible? If that happened, there is no salvation. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of of sin. And if Jesus didn't die, we are yet still in our sins. You see, so if Islam is correct, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins still because that means there is no salvation there's no savior furthermore islam teaches that god has no son your bible plainly teaches that the sinless lamb of god died on calvary's cross for your sins that god died in your place and in my place so if islam is correct then we're still all dead in our trespasses and sins. So though a historical Jesus exists in Islam, the salvation of mankind rests in who he is as the God that we know to be, the only begotten Son. You see, mankind is trying to blend those two things. Trying to merge Islam Trying to merge Catholicism with biblical Christianity. Trying to bring everybody together so that we can have peace right now. Can I tell you that that's not going to accomplish anything other than forestalling the inevitable? Because one day Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to take control of this earth. Your Bible My Bible says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see the solution? The solution is, wherever you were, however far you were off, because Gentiles at one time were lost. They couldn't come in. They couldn't inherit the promise. Jews were off because they rejected the Messiah. Hindus, off. Muslims, off. Mormons, off. Without Christ, you're off. You're not in. You're out. And so the solution is to be in Christ. No matter where you came from, whether you were far off as a Gentile or whether you were near as a Jew. And so that peace comes from being Made near, not because we are near. When you look at verse 14, it says, For he himself, notice this, is our peace, who has made both one. In other words, whether you were near or far, whether you were Jew or Gentile, no matter what your existence was before you came to Christ, you were out. He's made peace because He's made us both one and in fact has broken down the middle wall of separation. And this is a beautiful picture because if you and I were able to be alive at the time before the last temple that stood on the Temple Mount existed, if you were there prior to the sacking of Jerusalem under the Babylonians and prior to it being rebuilt under Nehemiah and Ezra, and existing there, and finally once again being destroyed in AD 70 by the Roman general Titus under the governorship of Vespasian, if you had been able to be there, you would have seen the inscription on the temple recorded by the Jewish historian, who was also a Roman, Flavius Josephus, and it said there, No foreigner may enter within the barricade that surrounds the sanctuary or the enclosure, for anyone caught in doing so, he himself shall be put to death. If you weren't a Jew, you couldn't get near God, period. I don't think that was God's plan, do you? God spent an awful lot of human history trying to reach out to the people on this earth. God doesn't like separation. So what did Jesus do? He himself is our peace, and he's the one that took down the wall of separation. You see, in the temple and in the tabernacle, the tabernacle in the wilderness, that tent that was lugged around through the wilderness wanderings by the children of Israel before they actually built the first temple, that tabernacle also had a wall of separation called the inner veil. And so as you entered into the holy place, which only the priests could do, and only the high priest could go beyond that into the holy presence of God, you, you see, we were banned from getting near God. Period. You couldn't do it. You would have stayed dead in your trespasses and sins. If you weren't a Jew, you were in trouble. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Because that middle wall of separation, the thing that kept everyone and said to the entire world, even the Jewish people to some degree, stay out. There's a holy God, and unless I separate myself from you, if you were to actually see my holiness, it'd kill you. So stay out. Jesus tore down that wall. Jesus ripped that curtain. That's why your Gospels record for you as you read your Bibles that when Jesus uttered his last, when he said, It is finished, that the veil inside of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. The way was opened. You can now go in. I can go in. A Jew can go in. A Gentile can go in. A Hindu can go in. A, a, a Muslim can go in. Anyone who names the name of Christ can set aside their differences and say, I received the one and only way that that wall can be torn down, and I want to be near Jesus. I want to have a relationship with God. And so he says in verse 15, For having abolished in his flesh. It was in fact his sacrifice. And this is so important when you're talking to someone who is perhaps a Muslim. If that was Judas that died on the cross and it wasn't Jesus, then nothing got abolished. Because Judas was a sinner just like you and me. If it was Jesus that died on that cross then it was the sinless Lamb of God that died to take away the sins of the world. You see, it says, having abolished in His flesh, that is Jesus' flesh, that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances. You see, to the Jews, they said, See, we're just better than everybody else. We have the Abrahamic covenant. We have the Davidic covenant. We have the laws of Moses. God actually lives with us, He dwells with us. Look there on the Temple Mount. That's the temple. Inside of that temple, literally, is the presence of God behind the veil. We're special. Can't we get like that sometimes when we see people who are fallen? When we see people who are broken, when we see people who are hurting, when we see people who refuse to repent, can we confess in our own hearts that sometimes we see those people standing in the median out in front of Walmart and our compassion level just goes into the pit? We somehow think, well, they got themselves there. Christ died for the ungodly. Plain statement of Scripture. You see, you may have been a lot more holy than that person who's standing in the median down at Costco. Maybe you've never done drugs. Maybe you're just Mr. or Mrs. Goody two-shoes. Maybe you're about this close to sinless perfection. Notice I said about this close to sinless perfection. But your pride and your arrogance will keep you just as distant from Christ without his blood as would anybody's drug addiction. Aren't you glad it's a free gift that gets you that extra couple of steps that it takes to get through the veil? Because all of us were on the outs, is the way to look at it. Dead. You see, the Jews could have said, well, we keep the ordinances. He goes on to say, so as to create in himself. In what? In Christ. In whom? In Christ. How? Through Jesus. To create in himself one new man from the two. That's making peace. You see, here's the problem. We're double-minded. We are flesh and we are spirit. And without Christ, you remain double-minded. You wander around in this constant state of flux, arguing and fighting with yourself. And your flesh over here, just like the cartoons, devils on one shoulder, angels on the other. Yeah, go ahead and do it. Oh, don't do that. The Lord comes into your life, and, and he works in such a way is to stop that battle, to give you victory over it. Not because of you, because of him. Thus making peace. That he might reconcile them both, and speaking in a broader sense to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death, it actually says putting death to the death. Putting death to the war. Putting death to the open hostility that was each one of us before we came to Christ. I was openly hostile to God. Matter of fact, I was mad at God a good percentage of the time. I couldn't understand why God would allow my parents to divorce. I didn't get it. I wandered around. If there's a God, he must not love me. I was at war with God, and so were you. Now, maybe your battle looked differently than mine. Maybe your war was a little less intense or more intense than mine. But the fact of the matter is, the only way I got reconciled to God is he came after me. He said, here's the solution. Here's the peace. My peace I give you. Now do you know why Jesus said what he said? My peace I give you. Not peace as the world gives do I give to you. I give you my peace. It's a different peace. It's not just the absence of conflict. Conflict is going to continue until the Lord comes. But the peace treaty can be declared and received and believed one at a time as we accept the the one and only way that we can have peace with God. And as I have peace with God, and you have peace with God, and we have peace with God, then we have peace with each other. That's the way it works. And if we don't have peace with God, we will surely never have peace with each other. Why? Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're wandering around trying to please ourselves. Amen? Amen. Look at the course of human history. You can see this very easily. Has there ever been a perfect government existent on the face of the earth? Just say no. Not ever. And I don't care which one you name. Even the more passive governments. Maybe you think that you look at Shintoism and it just looks so peaceful. You get your little Zen garden. Maybe you look at those wonderful Buddhist monks. And again, I'm not so much trying to mock as draw attention to this. There are a lot of people that think because somebody is a vegetarian and someone won't kill bugs and because someone won't go to war and because somebody doesn't have a problem with anybody else on earth that they're somehow okay. Not true. Just as lost as someone who's got a violent temper without Christ. Lost in a different way. Lost in self. Wandering around thinking, I finally made it. I've reached that place of nirvana. I honor everyone and everything. No, you don't. You worship self. Been a problem for mankind since day one. Maybe you're not as mean and ornery as the next person. But the problem's the same. And that's why Christ came and broke down the barriers. He makes one new humanity out of the two. He's the one that puts an exclamation part, part point on the course of human history. He says, look, if they turn to me, we can fix this. Without it, there's gonna be Brahmins and Dalits on the face of the earth. Without it, there's gonna be Christians and there's gonna be Jews on the face of the earth. Without it, there's going to be Muslims and there's going to be stone heathens that couldn't care, atheists that absolutely loathe the thought of God. You see, we look at lostness and we give it degree just like we do with sin. We say, oh, well they're really lost. Can I correct your theology a little bit? If you're lost at all, you're really lost. If you're without Christ, you're really lost. If you're lost in your own personal goodness, you're really lost. You see, lostness is a factor that is only exposed by the perfection of Christ. That's the standard. The standard is, are you in Christ, or are you not in Christ? Not, are you better than somebody here on this earth? Because we can all look at it, we can find somebody who's worse than us, amen? And we spend a lot of time doing, well, at least I'm not like him, not like her. Don't show up at heaven's door and go, well, I'm not like him, I'm not like her. You're not going to get in. Because unless you're like Him, you're an ain't. And the only way to be like Him is to receive Him and to let Him do that work in your heart and in your mind. People put up barriers and Christ tears them down. In verse 17 it says, And He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Isn't that crazy? You realize it was the same gospel that saved the near Jews, that saved the really lost heathens? Same gospel. There was not two gospels. Well, here's the gospel for the really lost people. I get, I get, you know, little pieces and packets of paperwork from ministries all over the world. Every week I get new things. You can't believe how many things I get. Well, you know, we've got to repackage the gospel so that it can go here. There's exactly one gospel and it does not need to be repackaged. The same gospel that saves the Hindu, saves the Muslim, that saved you and saves me. It's the same gospel. Very far, very near, the only way to come to Christ is to come to Christ. For we through him both have access by one spirit to the Father. You see, that should make us peacemakers. Why do you think Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because he himself came to make peace. Amen? He came to make peace. He, he didn't come to bring you know, turmoil to, to everyone. He came to bring ultimately peace. Now that turmoil came because what he did was so shocking to the world. You mean a, a Muslim can be saved? Absolutely. If I can be saved, any Muslim on this planet can be saved. If I can be saved, any Hindu on this planet can be saved. And so can you. And there's only one way to have that happen. It's to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to receive him as Lord and Savior. It's to say no to the old self and say yes to him. No matter where you are. And what that should do is make us peacemakers. Peacemakers. You know, when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for a very specific thing. Do you know that? It's not a peace treaty. Do you know that? It's not a peace treaty. It's the Prince of Peace treaty. It's that people would get saved. Because the only way you're bringing peace to Jerusalem is the Prince of Peace. That's it. When the Israelis conquered the Temple Mount in 1967, it took two days for them to give it back. You know why? Because they didn't come to the Prince of Peace. They were victorious in military conquest. They militarily took the Temple Mount. They could have destroyed the Dome of the Rock Moss. They could have pushed the El aqsa off the edge on the western wall and shoved it right into the canyon. They could have done that. But they tried to make a temporary peace. You see, people have been settling for a temporary peace for a very, very, very long time. And a temporary peace isn't real peace. Real peace comes from having peace in your heart. That's what gives you peace with other people. That's why we can pray for people who are Muslims. That's why we can pray for and love on and share Christ with people with whom we vehemently disagree. We've been called to do that. Christ came to bring peace. And that peace comes in the form of the gospel message. He was and is the Prince of Peace. Amen? Amen. Verse 19, and now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Only God can do that. Can you imagine trying to say that to a couple of religious groups if they got together at some conference? Well, we're all one now. You put Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists all in one place and say, well, we're all one. They're like, "Uh uh-uh. You know why? Because the only way to actually make that true is to change the hearts of every single person there. Who alone can do that? It's not through the good works of Buddhism, though they're still good. There's some good things that Buddhist people do. It's not through the practical holiness of being a Jew. It's through the blood of Christ that that wall comes down. It's through the blood of Christ that we're brought near. It's through the blood of Christ that those old animosities are erased. We're brought into this new family. It says we're no longer strangers and aliens. You see, we've become a grateful citizen. I came into the household of God the same way you came into the household of God, and the only way anyone can come into the household of God, by grace through faith. That's it. Christianity is not an American thing, though there are some who think if you're here in America, you're automatically a Christian. Sorry to mess up your theology, but that's not true. The way you become a Christian is by believing in him, receiving him. The answer is so simple and the answer is so obvious, it's almost ridiculous. That's why it finishes up this way, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So if you look at the Old, you look at the New Testament, who are you going to find? Uh, Jesus. You're going to find that the Old Testament law was not a way of salvation. You couldn't get saved by keeping the law, period. It was not ever possible. It only foreshadowed what Christ would do. It brought us near, got you close. Jesus Christ himself being that chief cornerstone. You you see, it's in him whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. It's how we get into that place in the first place is finding our place in his plan. Not being better than everybody else. Not being different than other people on the earth. It's by being found in Christ. And in that we can't boast. It's a gift. And I pray that we take that gift and spread that gift around, because it indeed is the gift that keeps on giving. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word this morning. And Lord, as we think on where we used to be, Lord, I was a stranger. I was an alien. Lord, I was far off. We were far off. But you brought us near by the blood of Christ. And we pray that you would work in us now to will and to do those things which are your good pleasure, your plan, your purpose. Lord, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we recognize that that area of the world has been embroiled in a bitter fight. Satan has had just a heyday. Lord, we pray for those who were caught right now in the pantheistic view of Buddhism, of Hinduism. We pray for the false Jesus followers that are Mormons. Lord, we pray for those who are in Baptist churches this morning and Presbyterian churches this morning and Episcopalian churches and Presbyterian churches. Evangelical churches, Lord, we, 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 those who are in Calvary chapels this morning, those may be here this morning that have never named you as Lord and Savior, they've never received the ultimate peace treaty where you absolve us of our sin and we inherit the kingdom of God. Lord, without that, we're all lost. We pray for that peace to sweep across this world. We asked that even so, Lord Jesus, you'd come quickly, because unless you do, it doesn't look good. And so, God, we bless you. Thank you for bringing us near. Thank you for your peace plan, which can solve all the problems. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.